At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for teaching us such wonderful things in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for the body of teaching you've left us in the Gospels, but also in all of Scripture. The darkness in our world has no limit, but the light in your word is bright and constant and infinite. And so, Father, shape us by that word, comfort us by that word, disturb us, awaken us, Lord. I pray for all of those who are watching this from home, for all of us here, that we would be receptive to what you are saying to us. That we would hear it with faith, the parts of us that are closed off to you, God, that they may open up, that you may breathe new life. We love you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Isn't his word wonderful? So Jesus continues this theme of being ready, staying awake until his return. 
He has told us that he's gonna come back at a time that we do not expect him, that it'll go well for us if he finds us doing the things he assigned to us and that in order for us to go the distance, we must make provisions and think through what he requires of us as we follow him rather than blindly following tradition devoid of intentional, life-changing decisions. Many people say they've come to Christ, but their lifestyle does not change. That's not why he gave us his teaching, including Matthew 24 and 25. It would be rather so that we are ready for him when he returns. Well, today we're going to see that part of being ready and staying awake includes improving, developing, and multiplying the things he's entrusted to us. So we're going to walk through the parable and then we'll apply it to our lives. First, respond rightly to what God has entrusted. Read with me one more time, verse 14. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five, t- five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Okay, Jesus spends no time setting up the parable. He dives right in. He doesn't say what he said before. The kingdom of heaven is like. He said that in verse one. Now he's like right in the middle of the sermon. So he just says, for it will be like. Well, what is it? The kingdom of God at his return. Remember that in all of chapter 25, he's placing us through these three stories in the future when we are facing him. And so the situation that he tells us here is very simple. A master calls his servants and entrusts his property to them. To one gives five talents, to another two, to another one. And then he goes away on a journey. After a long time, he comes back. Now, as he goes away, the one with the five talents right away goes and starts trading with them and makes five more. So also the one with the two talents, but the one with the one went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, right away, there are two things that need clarification. The first one is that the the word talent in this story is an unfortunate translation because for us in English, the word talent means a natural skill or ability, right? Right? Uh, for example, with our staff here in Royal Oak, we would say, you know, Josh is talented at singing. Lauren is talented at writing. Jonathan is talented in, well, everything. And um, so, but in Greek, that's not what the word means. In Greek, the word means, and it only means this, this it means a monetary unit of exchange and then uh, a unit of coinage. That's what it means. So now the implication of this story or the the application of this story later on we're going to see does go beyond money. But what Jesus is talking about proper is money. He hands his money to these servants to work it, to use it for him. That's the first thing. The second thing is that a talent as a unit of exchange was rather large. You know, the value varied depending on what kind of metal it represented, whether gold or silver or bronze. But uh, we can pretty safely assume that uh, talent was about 6,000 denarii, which is what a laborer would have made in about 20 years. So these are not small amounts. So the master takes, so if you make, let's say, $50,000 a year, then one talent would be $1 million. 
It's not a small amount. So the master takes five million and gives it to the one, two million and gives it to the other, and then one million and gives it to the, to the last one. So we're not talking about small amounts. And that fact alone is intentional on Jesus' part because, as we're going to see, Jesus here is expanding and exploding our paradigm, so small thinking. This story goes a long way to burst our categories for what's possible. It's meant to take our breath away. You know, movies often do this. When we're introduced to the main character, he, his or her world is usually kind of small, right? But then as they go on this journey, whatever that may be, their world progressively expands. And they find themselves, you know, we always have like that close-up of their face where they're like taking it all in. They're like, Whoa. You know, the Pixar movie Coco does this. Anyone likes Coco? Let me see. Okay, good. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful movie. The adults like it more than the children, you know. But in that movie, Miguel, when he's introduced to the land of the dead, which is gigantic and colorful and ironically full of music and life, he's just like, whoa, right? Um... Black Panther does the same when we're introduced to Wakanda. You know, the scale, the scale is meant to just take your breath away. Well, in this parable, the scale that Jesus chooses for this story would have taken his audience's breath away. He's talking to fishermen and farmers and mill workers. They'd never seen money like this. As a matter of fact, most of us have never handled money like this. So... Next, reinvest for the kingdom of God. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of of your master. Okay, so the master returns. The master returns. This has been a main theme of the whole discourse. The master returns. But it says that he returns after a long time. So again, delay has been a theme also in this discourse. Well, the one, the servant with the five talents made five more. So now he's got 10 million and he brings them back. And here's how this, the master replies in verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into your master's joy. Again, Jesus is expanding and exploding our paradigms of small thinking. Because he says a little. You've been faithful over a little. A little? Five million is a little? 10 million is a little? Yes. Yes, when you own the world, the universe. Yes, when you speak the universe with all of its riches and resources into existence with a word. And so now he's inviting the servant into greater opportunities for all eternity. That's where we're going, you guys. Greater joy also. The second servant comes in in verse 22. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So everything is almost the same with the second servant. He gets the same commendation, same reward. Why is that? Even though he has less money. Because it's not about the yield. It's about the faithfulness. The first and the second servants were equally faithful, equally diligent. Not so the third. The third one breaks the pattern. In verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground here. You have what is yours. Okay, there's so much wrong with this guy, right? He doesn't like the master. He doesn't like the master. He has a view, this view of the master that the other two servants don't share. Or at least they did not bring it up. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. But when he defines hard, there's nothing wrong with the definition. You know, sometimes, you know, one of my children would come to me and say, Dad, you're so mean. And I'd be like, why? What, what did I do? You don't let me watch all the shows I want. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not mean. That's just me being your dad. Right? But that's how this guy is. It's like, you're hard. Why? Because you, you expect to reap where you haven't sown. You expect to gather where you haven't scattered seed. It's like, first of all, that's not true. It's the master's capital he's using. But secondly, that's what servants did and do. Servants do work for their masters. Employees do work for their employers. Nothing has changed here in all of these years. But you see, this guy acts out of fear. He says, I was afraid. So I went and I hit your money. Here it is. Now, in defense of this guy, you know, bearing money to protect it was a practice. It was something people did, you know, because that was safer or considered safer than giving it to sketchy bankers. You know, they didn't have credit rating systems like Standard & Poor's and others that we have. And so, but that's unacceptable. Why not? Let's read on. Verse 26. Look at what the master says. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. Okay, so the master calls him wicked and slothful, wicked and lazy servant. He judges the servant by his own words. He tells him, you knew, did you not then? that I expect to reap where I haven't sown, that I expect to gather where I haven't scattered, then at the very least, you should have put my money, it was my money, with the bankers, and then I would have gotten it with interest. Yes, what's he saying? Yes, it was risky to put it with the bankers, but the master could have buried it himself. He didn't need the servant for that. See, the servant seems prudent, but in reality, he is cowardly. Now, what's so interesting about verse 28 is that the master says, take the one talent from the wicked servant and give it to the one who has the 10. Listen, the one with the 10 still has them. The one, after the accounting, the one with the 10 still has them. 
I want you to wrestle with that as we begin to apply the story. So remember the return of the Lord. Look at verse 29. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so here's the main principle that Jesus is driving home for us today. It's right there in verse 29. You want to circle it. You want to highlight it. You're going to put it on your wall. For to everyone who has will more be given and he or she will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's the principle. Okay. So I want you to think about your resources in four categories. Your time, your talent, skill, your money, and the gospel. Okay? Or let's use the four T's that we've heard often. Time, talent, treasure, and truth. And truth refers to the gospel that's in you, to the kingdom of God that you belong to, to the richness of community life with the believers that we have. Okay? So time, talent, treasure, and truth. And with those resources that you have, and we all have them to varying degrees, let's apply that principle again. So let's read verse 29. For to everyone who has time, talent, treasure, and truth will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to not have and to have it taken away? Like for the longest time, that verse did not make any sense to me. I was like, how can it be taken away from them if they don't have it to begin with? No, no, no. See, what Jesus is saying is that when we store and don't use the resources he's given us, they're as good as if we didn't have them. And because we're acting like we don't have them, they will be taken away from us. You think we're going to sit around in heaven? Uh-uh. God's going to entrust to us things endlessly for all eternity. And it's all based on what we did with the resources he gave us here, in the here and now. And so he's saying that when we act like we don't have anything, it's taken away. The wicked servant had a sum of a million dollars and he made a hole in the ground and buried it. He literally asked, acted as if he did not have it. That's what he acted like. And because that was his posture, he didn't deserve it. And so Jesus is saying, or the Lord here is saying, because you're acting like you don't have anything, you don't deserve anything. Take it from him. Now, what do we learn from that? It's kind of, it's pretty intense. What do we learn from that? Jesus is watching how we use the little he's given us. He's watching how we use the little he's given us. Have you noticed how in our hearts we feel like we always have little? Just little. 
You know, we always compare, but we compare up, not down. So if you make $50,000, we look at the people that make 100,000, not the ones that make 25. And the result of that comparison is what? That we always feel like we don't have as much as those around us. Come on, be honest about this. Because this is the kind of entrenched thinking in our human nature that Jesus is flushing out. So rather than trying to convince us that we have a lot, he agrees with us. He agrees with us. He doesn't go the route of, hey, you people, you live in the first world. You have so much. You don't even know how much you have. Think of the kid in Africa. Like he doesn't go that route. What he does is he grants how our hearts think. Okay, you feel like you have little? Fine, I agree with you. But then the question he's asking is, what are you doing with the little that I've given you? And we have two options. Two options. We can take it and put it to work and earn more for our master. Or we can bury it and hide it. Those are the options. Take it to work so it earns more for the Lord or we can bury it and hide it. So with your time, talent, treasure, and truth, are you putting it to work for God and earning more for him or are you hiding it? You see, Jesus says the one who is faithful with little will be entrusted with much. Here's the thing, you guys. God is not concerned at all with what you would do with the things you don't have. He's just not concerned with that at all. What he's really concerned with is what you actually do with the little you have. Because people so often go, oh man, if only I'd had more time. If only I had more skill. If only I'd had more money. If only I could speak as eloquently as other people do. Oh man, wow, watch out. I would make a huge impact for God. And Jesus says, you wicked, slothful, worthless Servant, ouch. Notice that the wicked servant didn't lose anything. Didn't lose anything. He gives him back exactly what was given to him. It's not like he lost it. It's all right there. So why does the master come down so hard on him? Here's why. Because staying awake Being ready for the return of the Lord does not mean that we take what God gives to us and we preserve it intact. That's not what it means. What it means is that we multiply it. We apply it. We develop it. We make it better. See, it's so easy for us to define our Christianity by the wrong we don't do. I don't get high. I don't get drunk. I don't lie. So what? Lots of unbelievers don't do any of those things. It's just common sense. Those things are not good for you. Don't do them. You don't need faith for that. The real test of our faith is, have you figured out what your mind can do, what your heart can love, what your strength can move for the glory of God? That's what the test is. Jesus demands that we love him with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our soul. And we don't want to stand before him on the last day and say, oh Lord, I didn't know my mind could have done that. I didn't know my heart could have loved that intensely. I didn't know my strength could have pushed with so much power. I didn't know any of this. That's not what we want to say. You want to figure it out. 
The reason you have the days of life you have is so you figure it out. You know, it's been an amazing journey for me, a great adventure, just to try to figure out what my mind can do for the glory of God. A number of you throughout the years have come to me and said how much my teaching has helped you in your faith, in your work, in your marriage. And we know that it's all from God, that we only are able to give what God gives to us to begin with. But man, but it is the glory of God because when I became a Christian at 18, I, I, I had never used my mind until then. Like for real, like I look back, I try to think, what did I think when I was not a Christian? It's like, nothing. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm serious, like, when I became a Christian, I couldn't speak English and I had read one book, like one book. And I say like because there might have been pieces of others, but I know for sure I read one book. I mentioned that to my children and they can't fathom it. They look at me like I'm a, an alien. They're like, what do you mean you had read one book? Because they've all read dozens, if not hundreds of books and they're younger than I was then. They look at me like, how did you even get into NYU? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> but then when I became a Christian, God put this passion in me for his word and to teach it. It came pretty early on. And so bit by bit, by God's grace, I started trying to apply myself, trying to learn, trying to learn to speak, trying to learn the word. And bit by bit, you know, just pushing and, and pausing and stumbling and pressing forward. It's just been amazing to see. It's been quite the ride to find out what can my mind do for the glory of God? And it feels like there's always more in there. Don't you feel this with your own talents? I know you do, because I speak to many of you. And it's so great to know, like Noel knows how to fly planes. That's amazing to me. He's been doing it for a long time. He's so good at this. But just discovering that is amazing. You realize like there's always more in there, like a fountain, which is what Jesus says in John 4, 14. He who drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But then he says, the water that I give him will become in him a spring, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? When the gospel comes to you, it doesn't just satisfy your thirst. It does that, but it doesn't die there. It becomes a spring in you that now you have to give to others, welling up to eternal life, not just for yourself, but for the many that God sends into your life. It's a wonderful thing. The God, we, we are not dead ends. The gospel should never come and end here. No, we are conduits. The grace of God comes and it goes out. And it's amazing to realize that. When I was doing the doctorate, I would read for like eight to 10 hours, read and write, 10 hours a day. And it was intense. And my family would make fun of me because they called it my prison cell. I'd be like in this little, I was, I was like locked up in this room in our house. They would bring me food and they would stick it under the door. I didn't do that, but it felt like that. But to them, it felt like a prison. To me, it was a time of joy, joy, most of the time. It felt hard sometimes for sure. And I know some of you that undertake serious study, it's hard, but it was also joy because I just remember just being so grateful, so delighted that God was affording me that opportunity that many pastors don't get because I knew that a time would come when it would be very demanding to pour out week in and week out as we build his church but you want to find out what your mind can do, what your heart can love, what your strength can push. 
God is gonna ask us, and he's gonna ask us what it is that we have done with the little, the little that he's given to us. He says, to the one who has more will be given, and he or she will have an abundance. I've found that there's always more to give and more that God gives to us, always. And when that's our posture, what we have, we're gonna give, he says, you'll have an abundance. It'll never run dry. So here's my word to you. Really, Jesus' word to us. Spend it. Spend it. Spend your time, your talents, your treasure, and your truth. Spend it. Don't be thinking, oh, but if I spend it, then what will I have? You have God. That's who you have. And he never runs dry. Spend it. Don't hoard it. Don't think that you just need to know. The more he gives you, the more you give. The more he gives you, the more you give. And just watch. Watch what God does. Are you putting to work the little God's given you, earning more for the Lord, multiplying it to his glory, or are you burying it and hiding it? I know so many of you that wrestle with these things that are trying to figure out in prayer and community with others, with the word, what it means for you to multiply to God's glory all that he's given you. And it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. So good. But I know there are Christians who feel like they don't know what they're supposed to do with their lives. And I understand what they mean, but I also don't. Because you're to take all of your time, all of your talent, all of your treasure, all of your truth, and multiply it. Multiply it to the glory of God. And don't stop. Don't stop. It'll be an amazing ride. And if you're a diligent person, if you're a driven person, if you're like, that's me, man. I wake up at five in the morning, ready to go. I am ready to conquer. If that's you, then my question to you is this. Have you as a Christian exchanged your success into kingdom currency? Because the driven people of this world, what they want is their name to be bigger, their empire to be bigger, their all to be bigger. So just being driven is not great thing. The guy with five talents made, doubled and brought him to the master. This is yours. And so have you exchanged your success into kingdom currency? Have you expanded your dreams for God? Are you doing more for him? Are you investing more into people? Are you wrestling with where your faithfulness to God will take you? Where will faithfulness take you? Are you wrestling with that? Or are you like, oh, I, I decided this. This is what I do for God. And it's pretty good there. I'm doing more than most. No, no. Are you making yourself uncomfortable as you wrestle with what God is asking of your little he's entrusted you with? You know, one of the sweetest things and greatest surprises in the last five years of ministry here with you for Ann and I has been just the, the many ministry partners, gospel partners that we've had in so many of you. And it's been it's been wonderful. It's been so wonderful. You know, Paul mentions different people that are partners with him in the gospel work for, um, you know, in different parts of the letters. And I don't do it enough, but, but it's a wonderful thing to think about those uh, partners. And there's so many of you that are like that. 
You know, one of those couples uh, in our lives has been Ted and Corinne. You know, Ted and Corinne, since 2016, have just poured themselves out and labored intensely for the people of this church body. And it's just been amazing to watch what God does in their lives. I was talking to them at one point, and they just shared that as they were growing in their walk with Christ, this was like three or four years ago, they, they decided that God was calling them to say yes to him. God was calling them to say yes to God. So whatever God asked, they would do it. You know how God does that to us? He like impresses things on us, and we're like, uh, we start finding all the reasons we shouldn't. Well, what they decided, they recognized that, and they said, no, we're going to say yes. Instead of saying no, we're going to say yes. And it's just been amazing. They're constantly looking for ways to bring more people from the church into their lives, more people from their community into the life that God has for us. I know I'm just mentioning them right now, but I know there's many others that are like this. Over a month ago, I was trying to set up a a couple, someone new to the church, uh, with a group, like trying to match them up and see what might be a good fit. And I thought, oh, Ted and Corinne's group might be really good for them. And so I sent a text to Ted. I said, hey, is your group taking new people? And within minutes, the answer with one word, always. And every time I think about that, it's been so moving to me. Because I know in my own heart that I, that I can feel like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. How, how much can you stretch? It's okay, you can stretch this much, but can we stretch again and then again and again? But just that posture, that, Lord, here we are. What are you asking of us? Our answer is yes. Now, listen to me. I know that we all need to have healthy boundaries. I know this. This is true. We all have limits. Only God is omnipotent, omnicompetent. None of us is that. So, yes, there are limits. And I know that there are seasons for us to replenish and to slow down. Absolutely. But I also know that there's a reason Jesus called the wicked servant worthless and lazy. Because it can be an instinct in us to bury, to bury safely what God has given us in a dark hole. I know there are so many Christians that live lives of fear, fear. And I know that our God is compassionate. He is. He's patient with us. He loves us. He meets us where we are. He carries us. Absolutely. And it's so great to know that, that he is with us. But you also need to know that fear is risk averse. Whereas faith welcomes risk. Faith welcomes risk. Fear, we're, we're, not, we're not reckless people but we are risk takers. You see, when your life is driven by fear, your life will become smaller and smaller. I know there are some people who have barely left their houses in the last 12 months. Your life is becoming smaller and smaller. That's what, and listen, I'm praying for you. If that's you, I'm praying for you. And I know that God will sustain you, but that's what fear does. It just makes our lives smaller and smaller. Faith, on the other hand, moves mountains. Faith shows us the kind of strength that we actually have, how much strength God has deposited in us. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, but these sheep are made of steel. 
And I know that it's not fun to be a sheep among wolves. I know that we're like, oh, the government is passing these horrible laws and our companies are doing this and the other and the culture doesn't like Christians. Listen, I know that from the perspective of a sheep, it's not fun to be among wolves, but it's what Jesus promised and he always keeps his promises. Listen, Jesus is bursting our lives in paradigms of small thinking. With your time, how are you multiplying your kingdom impact? How are you doing that? Maybe you need to take off one week and go on a missions trip. It'll change you. Talk to people who've done that. You need to fill your life with people, with more people, so you can have greater influence in their lives. With your talents, with your skills, how are you multiplying your kingdom impact? I'm inspired by doctors and lawyers that I've known before, Christians, who, who, who see people in need for free. They don't get paid, but the person gives glory to God. I'm inspired by Scott, who's an artist and uses his art to help the poor. I'm inspired by Derek, who's an engineer and uses his skills to help widows and others in need. How are you multiplying your kingdom impact with your treasure? You know, we can think so small. We're going to do a series on giving after Easter. But we can think so small. Should I give $500 to the church? Should I give 2%, 5%, 10% of my income? Oh, I don't know. That feels like a lot. We think so small. What about giving 90%? and living on 10. Have you thought about that? I know we, we might go like, that's impossible. Many people have done it who started with nothing. But we just don't think like that. We think, hey, the more God gives us, the more for me. With your truth, how are you multiplying your kingdom impact? Maybe you should take that Revelation class, men, or the Hebrews class, women, Maybe you should memorize a whole chapter of scripture if all you know is John 3.16 and maybe parts of Psalm 23. Put the word in your heart so you may give it to others so it's ready to go. Maybe for some of you, instead of putting a thousand hours into a video game, you should take that same thousand hours and learn biblical Greek or biblical Hebrew so you can read the word of God in the original language. I promise you it'll multiply your joy. A video game will leave you feeling yuck. The word of God will fill you with everlasting joy. But find out. Find out what your mind can do before you die. Find out what your heart can love. Find out what your strength can push for the glory of God. He's going to ask. He's returning. He will settle accounts. And what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to take and say, here, Lord, here's my offering. I brought you my empty cup every time. And every time you filled it to overflowing. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what we want to hear. That's the moment. We want to live for. That's it. That's the one. Faithfully serve the master. Faithfully serve the master. There is nothing riskier 
than for Jesus to leave his heavenly glory and come to be hated and betrayed and killed by his very own. But it was the only way that he could purchase a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation with his precious blood. It was the only way. We could not be saved from afar. He had to be spat upon. He had to be crushed. He had to be punished. He was grieved for our transgressions so that we could enter into the joy of the master. Joy. Joy. That's where we're going. Enter into your master's joy eternal pleasures at his right hand let's pray lord we love you lord we love you we thank you for your word we thank you jesus for all of chapters 24 and 25 of matthew wow we feel you working in us on us getting us ready You're now willing to let any of us be lost, be asleep. So, Father, I pray that we would learn that part of staying awake until your son's return is to multiply, to improve, to make better all the resources you've given to us, the little we have. Father, I pray that we would not bury it we would not bury the little you've given to us, but rather, Lord, I pray that we would go at once and begin trading with it, using it, all our time, all our money, all our truth, all our skill, using it for your glory. Show us, God. I pray that all of us would find out really what our minds can do, what our hearts can love, what our strength can move in your name for your glory. Show us, God. Show us. Let us be a people who are busy doing your work. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that it is the death of Jesus Christ that we're moving towards celebrating in just a couple of weeks. That it's his resurrection that gives us the resurrection power that we have to be able to do what you've called us to. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your blood, the death of Jesus, covers us. It's our victory, and it becomes ours by faith. We love him. We trust him. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.